<laughs> Light the candle. Oh, right here? And I can do that for you. I'm going to pick this up. And, and you can, uh, why don't you keep them on for now? Gotcha. Keep them on. Okay. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll work them. Yeah, you just let me know. Yeah. We're supposed to be starting. Well, okay, here, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the pulpit. Okay, <laughs> so everyone, I'll have you take your seat. We'll get started. I want to uh, begin by introducing everyone to Jeff Framke. We're going to be doing a night where he's going to help us be better evangelists. And so I want to introduce you to Jeff Framke, a friend of ours. Many of you know him from T Twin City Fellowship back in the day, and uh, now yeah. he's attending, uh, <laughs> attending Grace Church. Grace in Eden yeah, Prairie. In yeah. Prairie. But uh, Jeff has been an evangelist for many years, very gifted in presenting the gospel, and also how to get the attention of people so that they will listen to us as we present the gospel. So everyone, this is Jeff Framke, and I will uh, just commend everyone to uh, to him this evening, so we'll get started. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, amen. Hey, Eric, is he live? Are we, we are live, and time is going forward. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes. Always yes. Good. Time is yeah. moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not going backwards. <laughs> oh, we'll let people. Hi. All right. We'll let people come in and then. Sure. I'm just going to run the lights for you, so you just tell me when. Okay. 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 Well, it's great to be here and see everyone here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Please, uh, let's. Uh, why don't we open in prayer? Please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for granting us this day today, Lord. I thank you for bringing my brothers and sisters in Christ here tonight, Lord. I I pray that you can uh, that they are encouraged by tonight, Lord. I pray that you instill in them a new sense of, of boldness and urgency and joy in sharing what is the best gift ever given to mankind, the gospel. Uh, Lord God, please guide me in uh, leading this discussion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again, Eric. And uh, like I said, it, it probably took me a nanosecond to say yes. When Eric asked, hey, you want to teach a class on evangelism? I was all over that. I mean, I'm extremely passionate uh, about evangelizing. And um, so I want to thank you for having me here tonight uh, as your guest. I really, it uh, gives me a lot of joy. Um, I've had the, um, the pleasure of going out with Mr. Eric a few times on the street witnessing. I, uh, I enjoy very much going out with Eric. It's kind of like having a Sherman tank as your backup. And, and I'm not just talking physically, though the guy's obviously built like a Sherman tank. I'm talking more so intellectually. God has gifted him in so many ways. Such a great teacher and uh, you know, leader from the pulpit and evangelist as well. Um, when I go out with him, I'm always learning something. Always learning something. My favorite memory of going out with Eric, and he knows where I'm going with this, on this, <laughs> occurred about six or seven years ago. Um, I, I got word that the National Atheist Convention was coming to downtown Minneapolis. So what better idea than to go there and witness, right? 
I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, so I called my buddy Eric up, and um, so he's like, let's go. So we went there, and uh, we were kind of stealthed when we walked in. So we were staying kind of in the outer areas. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but we had a, a couple of good conversations, actually. And got to talk, to, and, and they were, you know, they were listening. And so we got a little bold and worked our way towards the middle of the room. And uh, there were a bunch of vendor booths going on. And Eric started engaging with, with one of the vendors. Not too far from this conversation, there was a guy who was listening, and he, and he came over, and he started engaging with Eric. And we didn't know this at the time, but this guy was like one of the featured speakers <laughs> at this convention. And he was, uh, and we didn't know this at the time either, he was a, uh, a university professor by the name of P.Z. Myers. So, you know, the one thing about atheists is, you know, they take the, they, they, they think that they're on the high road of intellectualism. Okay, they always look down on people of faith. They always think that science and logic and reason is on their side, when in fact, it's on our side. And it doesn't take too much to be able to turn their arguments around to the fact that they start to have, they have to deny science, logic, and reason. Well, Eric knows how to do that. And so PZ starts engaging with Eric, and he's throwing out all these big words and you know all these fancy things, and Eric's just taking it, and he's giving it right back. He's dismantling it, and he's going, and finally, you know, PZ just kind of looks at him and says, well, for you to understand where I'm coming from, you'd have to understand quantum physics. Okay, this is what they do. And I just had so much joy when Eric looked at me in the eye and said, well, I do. What do you have? It was just, it was beautiful. It really was. And so he, again, he goes into it, and Eric just, you know, dismantles this argument basically to the, to the point where, PZ, so you're basically telling me that nothing became something that turned into everything. And Eric's like, do you see, everyone? Nothing can become something. Well, how can nothing become something? As soon as, it be, as, soon as it's something, it's no longer nothing. So nothing can't become something. It always has to be nothing. You know, just dismantled it. And that's basically, they have no answer, you know, to that. No matter how they dress it up, that's always what it comes down to. So I never forgot that. I'll never forget that. Eric did a great, great job with that. That was your idea of fun, Joe. <laughs> yeah, my idea of fun. <laughs> By God's grace, I was saved late in my life. Um, it was a couple years after that that um, I noticed in the church bulletin that I was the church I was attending at the time um, was promoting a six-week share your faith class. Okay, so evangelism class. I looked at it, I thought, wow, that looks, that looks pretty cool. I'd kind of like to know how to do that. So my wife and I signed up, and um, the class was, there was some outside reading with some authors, but it was, ba it was based on the Billy Graham Bridge methodology. Is anyone familiar with that? Yeah. It's basically uh, man on one side, God on the other, and separated by this big wide chasm, which is the result of sin. And only Jesus can come in and fill that gap, okay? And then would bridge the gap between God and man. 
And then the, uh, one of the goals um, of the bridge is to lead somebody in prayer to accept Christ in their heart. Okay? So I was way into this. I was, you know, um, just devouring this stuff. I was very excited about this. And at the end of the six weeks, we, uh, we were challenged to, um, to actually use this on someone. I mean, what good is the study if you're not going to use it, right? So I had immediately thought of my sister-in-law. Uh, she was married to my wife's brother, and they were having an awful time in their marriage, really bad, really, really struggling. And I just knew that if they had Jesus in their life, that, that he would be the fixer of their marriage, right? And, and everything else that was going on. So, um, so I called her up. We both worked downtown, and she agreed to meet. So being my first time, I was very nervous. And um, um, so I, I started you know, sharing my journey, and then I started going into the bridge. Um, and everything was going really exceptionally well. She was just really listening intently. And when I got to the end, I asked her, I said, so would you like to give your life to Christ today? You can do it right now. And she, she couldn't even say the word yes. She was so choked up with emotion. She just gave me one of these, one of these. And I started choking up because, you know, here's my first time and God was saving someone right in front of my very eyes. Right? How great was this? And the deal was sealed, right? And we said the prayer. Now, fast forward two years from that event. My wife and I are at the Minnesota State Fair. We had just spent the day gorging on fried food, everything fried. We were uh, leaving the premises, and we noticed a large crowd that was uh, assembled outside of the KKMS booth, radio booth. So we wanted to check it out, see what was going on. So we go over there, and um, the radio host was, was kind of working the crowd a little bit. And he selected one person, and he started going into what I didn't know at the time, but he started going into this gospel presentation. And it was an approach I'd never heard before. He started really drilling down on, on the laws of God, the Ten Commandments. He was asking this person a series of um, rhetorical questions that could only be answered with a yes. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? And then, you know, the, the repercussions of sin and that and the God has no choice if he's a good judge than to, to, to judge um, for the sins that are committed. And that with the only two options being heaven and hell, it has to be hell. Otherwise, he's not a good judge. Proceeded by, then uh, followed by the, um, this just great layout of, of the good news, you know, of what God did for this person. At the end, there was no prayer. He was just very sincere, looked at her and said, you know, would you please, there's nothing more important than where are you going to spend your eternity? Would you please think about this and, and, and pray about it? And the person said they would. That was it. So with both those scenarios as a backdrop, I would like to introduce a video it's called Hell's Best Kept Secret. 
Has anybody heard about it or seen it? Oh, good, a few. This video was produced by Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron, um, and it's about how to biblically share the gospel. Okay? And the good news, it's 37 minutes, so you don't have to hear me talking for 37 minutes. We can watch a video. So with that being said, let me start this. I guess we never tested volume on this. Is that good? shallow and immature understanding of what he was doing. 
He was using a principle that prepares the heart for grace. It's a principle that has been used by Charles Spurgeon, John Wesley, George Whitfield, And it, it converts the soul according to the Bible. It shows a person why they need the Savior. It's a key that changes everything. And that's why the enemy does not want you to get a hold of it. It's something that the enemy has bent out of shape over the years. He's misused it and even hidden it so that much of the church does not even know that it exists. That's why we call it hell's best kept secret. So please watch and listen carefully and don't let anything distract you. tells us in Psalm 19 verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul what is it that the Bible says is perfect and actually converts the soul my scripture makes it very clear the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul now to illustrate the function of God's law let's just look for a few moments civil law imagine if I said to you I've got some good news for you someone has just paid $25,000 speeding fine on your behalf. You'd probably look at me and say, that's not good news. It doesn't make sense. I don't have a $25,000 speeding fine. You see, my good news would probably not be good news. It would sound foolish. But more than that, it would also sound offensive because I'm implying that you've broken the law when you don't think you have. But if I said it to you this way, it might make more sense. On the way here today, the law clocked you at going 55 miles an hour through an area set aside for a blind children's convention. There were 10 clear warning signs stating that 15 miles an hour was the maximum speed, but you went straight through at 55 miles an hour. What you did was extremely dangerous. The law was about to take its course when someone you don't even know stepped in and paid the fine for you. You are very fortunate. Can you see that telling you precisely what you've done wrong first actually makes the good news make sense? If I don't bring clear instruction you have violated the law, the good news will seem foolishness, it will seem offensive. But once you understand you've broken that law, then that good news becomes good news indeed. In the same way, if I approach a hardened sinner, someone whose understanding is darkened, and say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, It'll be foolishness to him and offensive to him. Foolishness because it won't make sense. The Bible actually says that. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. And offensive because I'm insinuating he's a sinner when he doesn't think he is. As far as he's concerned, there are plenty of people far worse than him. But if I take the time to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it may make more sense. If I take the time to open up the divine law and show the sinner precisely what he's done wrong, that he's offended God by transgressing his law, then when he becomes, as James says, convinced of the law as the transgressor, the good news of the fine being paid for will not be foolishness, it will not be offensive, it will be the power of God unto salvation. 
Now, with that thought in mind, let's look at Romans 3.19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So there's one function of God's law. It's to stop the mouth of the sinner. To stop a person from justifying himself, saying, ah, there's plenty of people far worse than I am. I'm not a bad person. No, the law stops the mouth of justification and leaves the whole world, not just the Jews, but the whole world guilty before God. Romans 3.20 Wherefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So there, the law tells us what sin is. In fact, 1 John 3.4 says, Sin is transgression of the law. And then in Romans 7, verse 7, Paul says, I have not known sin but by the law. Paul said he didn't know what sin was until the law told him. And Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So there he's saying that the law is like a schoolmaster that leads us to Jesus Christ so that we can be justified through faith in his blood. The law doesn't help us, it just leaves us helpless. The law doesn't justify us, it just leaves us guilty before a just and holy God. Let me say that again, this is so important. We are not saved by the law. We are saved by God's grace through faith. The law just shows us we're filthy, dirty, and in desperate need of God's cleansing. And the tragedy of modern evangelism is that around the turn of the last century, when it got rid of the law and its ability to convert the soul, to drive people to the Savior, modern evangelism had to therefore find another reason for people to come to the Savior. And the issue that it has chosen to attract people to Jesus is the promise of life enhancement. The gospel has degenerated into Jesus Christ will give you love, joy, peace, fulfillment, and lasting happiness. <coughs> now to illustrate the unscriptural nature of this very popular teaching, one that I used to teach myself, Please listen to the following story, because the essence of what we're saying pivots on this particular point. Two men are seated in a plane. The first is given a parachute and told to put it on as it would improve his flight. He's a little skeptical at first, as he can't see how wearing a parachute and a plane could possibly improve the flight. After a time, he decides to experiment and see if the claim is true. As he puts it on, he notices the weight of it upon his shoulders he finds he has difficulty in sitting upright. However, he was told the parachute would improve the flight, so he decides to give the thing a little time. And as he waits, he starts to notice that the other passengers are laughing at him because he's wearing a parachute in a plane. And as they continue to point and laugh, he finally can't stand it any longer. He slinks in his seat, unstraps the parachute, and throws it on the floor. Disillusionment and bitterness fill his heart, because as far as he's concerned, he was told an outright lie. The second man is given a parachute, but listen to what he's told. 
He's told to put it on because at any moment he'll be jumping 25,000 feet out of the plane. He gratefully puts it on. He doesn't notice the weight on his shoulders, nor that he can't sit upright. His mind is consumed with the thought of what would happen to him if he jumped without that parachute. Now let's analyze the motive and the result of both passengers' experience. The first man put on the parachute solely to improve his flight. And the result of his experience was that he was humiliated by the other passengers. He was disillusioned and somewhat bitter toward those who gave him the parachute. As far as he's concerned, it'll be a long time before someone gets one of those things on his back again. The second man put the parachute on solely to escape the jump to come. And because of his knowledge of what would happen to him without it, he has a deep-rooted joy and peace in his heart knowing that he's safe and sure of death. This knowledge gives him the ability to withstand the mockery of the other passengers. His attitude toward those who gave him the parachute is one of heartfelt gratitude. Now listen to what the modern gospel says. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll give you love, joy, peace, fulfillment, and lasting happiness. In other words, Jesus will improve your flight. And so the sinner responds, and in an experimental kind of way, puts on the Savior to see if the claims are true. And what does he get? Just what Jesus promised. Trials, tribulation, persecution. The other passengers mock him. What does he do? He takes off the Lord Jesus Christ. He's offended that he's been mocked. He's disillusioned and bitter. And how can you blame him? He was promised love, joy, peace, fulfillment, and lasting happiness, and all he got were more trials and humiliation. His bitterness is directed toward those who gave him the so-called good news, and now he's worse off than he was before because now he thinks he's given Jesus a try, and all he got was a big letdown. Another inoculated and bitter backslider. Instead of saying that Jesus improves the flight, we should be warning the passengers that they're going to have to jump out of the plane. That is the point of the man who wants to die and after this the judgment. And when a sinner understands the horrific consequences of breaking God's law, he will flee to the Savior solely to escape the wrath that's to come. And if we are true and faithful witnesses, that's what we should be preaching. That there is wrath to come. That God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. You see, it's not an issue of happiness, but of righteousness. It doesn't matter how happy a person is or isn't in their current lifestyle. Without the righteousness of Christ, they'll perish on the day of judgment. The Bible says, riches profit not on the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You see, that's how I realized that I needed a Savior. I had many of the things that the world has to offer, but I knew that none of that would matter on the day when I stood before God and all of my sin came out as evidence of my guilt. It was the righteousness of Christ that I would need to be saved. <coughs> now, let me say that peace and joy are legitimate fruits of salvation. They are the wonderful, beautiful results of salvation. But it's not legitimate to use those fruits as a draw card for salvation. Why? Because if a person comes to God looking for peace 
some joy in their life, but they're not broken in their heart, repentant over the fact that they've sinned against Almighty God, they won't find peace with God. They won't know the joy of the Lord. They'll remain enemies of God in their mind through wicked works, separated from God because of their sin. And if we continue to give people the wrong reason to come to Christ, they'll respond with a wrong motive, <coughs> lacking repentance. Can you remember why the second passenger had peace and joy in his heart? It was because he knew that parachute was going to save him from short death. In the same way, I have, as the Apostle Paul says, joy and peace in believing because I know the righteousness of Christ is going to deliver me from the wrath to come. Now, with that thought in mind, let's take a look at another incident on board our airplane. We have a brand new stewardess, and it's her first day on the job, and she wants to make an impression on the passengers, and that's exactly what she does. Because as she's walking down the aisle, carrying a boiling hot pot of coffee, she accidentally trips over somebody's foot and slops this boiling hot liquid into the lap of our second passenger. Now, what's his reaction as this boiling hot liquid hits his tender flesh? Does he go, oh man, that hurt. Yes, of course, he feels the pain. But then does he stand up out of his seat, unstrap the parachute, and throw it on the floor saying, the stupid parachute. No, of course not. Why should he? He didn't put the parachute on to improve his flight. He put it on to save his life. And if anything, the hot coffee would cause him to cling tighter to the parachute and even look forward to the jump. <laughs> if you and I have put on the Lord Jesus Christ for the biblical motives to flee from the wrath that's to come, when tribulation strikes, when it's like it's dumpy, we won't get angry at God, we won't lose our joy or peace. Why should we? We didn't come to Jesus for a happy lifestyle. We came because we'd sinned against God and needed a Savior to save us from the wrath that's to come. And if anything, Tribulation drives a true believer closer to the Savior. And sadly, we have literally multitudes of passing Christians who lose their joy and peace when it's like it's dumpy. Why? They're the product of a man-centered gospel. They came lacking repentance, without which you cannot be saved. Think of the woman caught in the act of adultery. She had violated the seventh commandment. The law called for her blood. They were about to stone her. The law condemned her. And that's one of the functions of God's law. It condemns. Now you might say, wait a minute. That's not right. We can't go around condemning people. Well, that's true. We don't need to. They're condemned already. John 3.18 says, he that believes not is condemned already. All the law does is show a person himself in his true light. Some of you may identify with this. You've got a wooden table in your living room. You dust it down. It's clean. It's dust-free. Then you draw back the curtains and let in the early morning sunlight. What do you see on the table? Dust. What do you see in the air? Dust. Did the light create the dust? No. The light merely exposed the dust. And when you and I take the time to draw back the curtains of the Holy of Holies and let the light of God's law shine upon a sinner's heart, all that happens is that he sees himself in truth. The commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, verse 13, by the commandment, sin became exceedingly sinful. In other words, it was the law that showed Paul's sin in its true light. 
This next clip shows how little some people know about God's law. may seem funny to some, it's a sad reality that many people today know more about beer than they do about the Ten Commandments, God's moral standard. If someone does not know God's law, they will not see their sin as being exceedingly sinful, and their heart will not be prepared for the gospel. It's as simple as this. What farmer would take good seed and cast it on hard soil? Now, firstly, he prepares the soil. He breaks it up. Good seed, good soil, good harvest. And what modern evangelism does is it takes the good seed of the gospel and casts it on the hard, unregenerate heart of humanity. Biblical evangelism, without exception, is always law to the proud, grace to the humble. Never will you see Jesus giving the gospel, the good news, the grace of God to a proud, arrogant, self-righteous person. Now, with the law, he breaks the hard heart. With the gospel, he heals the broken heart. Why did he do that? Because he always did those things that please the Father. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let me put it another way. What doctor would give a cure to a patient when the patient's not first convinced of his disease? Imagine I'm a doctor and I say to you, I've got this wonderful cure, but you're not convinced of the disease. You're going to pour it down the drain. And why shouldn't you? You don't appreciate it, and there's no point in appropriating it. But if instead I said to you, you've got a terrible terminal disease, sit down. I can see 10 clear symptoms on your flesh. 
you're going to be dead in two weeks. And you say, oh, what should I do? Then I say to you, oh, don't worry, I've got a cure. Then you're going to grab it, you're going to appreciate it, and you're going to appropriate it because you've seen the disease that you might appreciate the cure. The disease is sin, and the cure is the gospel. And if we care about people, we must take the time to first help them see that they have the disease and help them understand the serious consequences of sin before Almighty God so that they will appreciate the cure of the gospel. I'd like to share with you now how I share my faith personally, how we put these principles into action. I love to read about how Jesus shared the gospel. And there's a beautiful example in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well demonstrating how Jesus interacted with this woman. We like to call it the way of the master. It shows Jesus first relating to this woman in the natural realm, talking about natural things. And then he swings to the spiritual realm, talks about spiritual things. He brings conviction using the seventh commandment and then reveals himself as the Messiah. And I'll try to follow in his footsteps, so to speak, by talking with someone about everyday things and then deliberately swing to the subject of God. And sometimes I do this by bringing up uh, something religious that's occurred in the news, uh, just a general question like, hey, you ever think about what happens when you die? Hey, do you believe in God? Do you know any good churches around? Or I'll use a good gospel track to bring up the subject of spiritual things. I did this uh, not too long ago. I was on the golf course with uh, a friend of mine, and uh, we got on the subject of the things of God, and I asked him, I said, do you believe in God? He says, yeah. And he says, um, yeah, I used to go to church when I was a kid. And then I asked him, would you consider yourself to be a good person? And he said, yeah, I do. And then I asked, do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments? And remember, that's what Jesus used, the Ten Commandments, with that rich young ruler. And this man said to me, well, I've kept most of them. I mean, I've never murdered anybody. And I'm thinking, well, that's a good thing out here on the golf course. <laughs> and I said, well, have you ever lied? And he said, yeah, of course. And then I said, what does that make you? What do you call? And he said, a liar. And then I said, have you ever stolen anything? That's the Eighth Commandment. And he said, uh, no. And sometimes I'll say to him, come on, I'm not sure I believe you. You just admitted to me you're a liar. <laughs> and he said, okay, okay, okay. I, I did when I was younger. Yeah, I've stolen a few things. And then I asked him, are you familiar with the Seventh Commandment? You shall not commit adultery. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Have you ever done that? And this man said, oh, yeah, plenty of times. And then I said to him, by your own admission, you're a lying thief and an adulterer at heart. And that's only three of the Ten Commandments. There's seven more pointed at you. You should have seen the look on his face. Well, he looked guilty because he knew he was guilty. And that's what the commandments do. They leave the whole world guilty. I mean, think about it. Even for you, sitting right where you are, do you think you've kept God's commandments? Look at the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, so much that your love for everyone else is like hatred compared to your love and devotion for God. Have you always loved God that much? Or the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. Now, you can either make a false god with your hands, or 
with your mind. Have you ever said something like this? My God is a God of love and mercy. He's not a God of judgment and would never send anyone to hell. Well, if you've said that, you're right. Your God never would send anyone to hell because he couldn't, because he doesn't exist. He's a figment of your imagination. You've created a God in your own mind that you're more comfortable with. You've created a God to suit your sins. It's called idolatry. And many people call that simply their own beliefs, but the Bible calls it idolatry, and idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Or the third commandment, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word to express disgust? Something called blasphemy. Jesus warned that every idle word a man speaks, he'll give an account of on the day of judgment. And the Bible says the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I went for 22 years as a non-Christian, knowing that God had given me life, but never once did I say, God, you gave me life. What do you require of me? One day in seven, I violated that commandment. Or the fifth, honor your father and mother. Have you always honored your parents implicitly in a way that's pleasing in the sight of God? Or the sixth commandment, you shall not kill or murder. Most of us think we're innocent with that one. But Jesus said, whoever is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. And the Bible says, he who hates his brother is a murderer. We've already looked at the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. And who of us can say that we're not guilty of violating the tenth commandment, coveting, or being jealous, greedy for things that belong to other people? And remember, God even sees our thought life and the secret deeds done in darkness. James 2.10 says, He who keeps the whole law and violates it at just one point is guilty of all. Can you see how the commandments leave us all guilty? My friend could see that on the golf course, and so I asked him, if God were to judge you by the commandments, would you be innocent or guilty? He said, guilty. I said, so does that mean that you'd go to heaven or hell? And you know what he said? He said, heaven. Because God is forgiving. You just need to ask him. And I said to him, man, try that in a court of law. You're standing before a judge, guilty of a serious crime. And the judge says, what do you have to say before I pass sentence? And you stand up and say, judge, I'd just like to say that I believe you're a good man, and therefore, you'll let me go. Is the judge going to let you go if he's a good judge? Of course not. He'll probably say, because I'm a good man, I'm going to see that justice is served. Because I am a good man, I'm going to see that you're punished for what you've done. And the very thing that many people are hoping will save them on the day of judgment is the very thing that will condemn them. Because if God is good, then by nature, he will make sure that justice is served and that people are punished for what they've done. And the Bible says that God will punish sin wherever it's found. He'll punish murderers and rapists, but he won't stop there. God is so good, he'll also punish liars and thieves, adulterers, blasphemers, and all those who violate the inner light that God has given to every man. So I said to my friend, if God gave you justice, you wouldn't be headed for heaven, would you? But for hell. It's when he hung his head and his mouth was stopped that I knew the law, the commandments, had done their work, and he was ready for grace. I said, Man, I want to tell you some great news. Put yourself in a courtroom. 
You're guilty of a serious crime with a million dollar fine or life in prison. You can't pay your fine when all of a sudden someone comes into the courtroom and pays your fine for you. I said, that's what God did for you and for me 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ stepped into the courtroom, so to speak, and paid our fine when he suffered and died on the cross. The Bible puts it like this. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We broke the law and Jesus paid our fine. It's as simple as that. And then he rose from the grave and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then I told him, God commands him to repent and put his faith in Jesus Christ. We got to the end of the golf course and he put his, his face in his hand and began weeping in the middle of the parking lot, crying out to the Lord to forgive him. It was a beautiful thing. And he said to my wife the next day, that was the best day of my entire life and golf had nothing to do with it. Please watch carefully as Ray uses the commandments in this clip to help a person see the disease of sin before he offers the cure of the gospel. You name you. Um, yes, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not... Oh, um, okay. Now, do you think you've kept those ten commandments? Um, yes. Give a total lie. Well, at some times, you know, most every human does. So you broke that one. So what are you called if you tell a lie? A liar. Give a stone. No, sir, I haven't. Even something really small. Be honest before God. Well, I guess a little stuff. Like, maybe like a piece of gum or something. A piece of gum. So what does that make you? Oh, a stealer, I guess. Thief. See, the value of the thing you steal doesn't make any difference. If I open your wallet and just take that one dollar, it'd be better taking that hundred dollars from the thief. Now, Jesus said, if, you're, if we look at a woman and lust after her, we commit adultery with her in her heart. You ever done that? Um, no, sir. Sorry. You looked at a woman with lust? Oh, well, the friend over there is laughing at you. He doesn't think you're speaking the truth. Well, I mean, yes, I have looked at a woman, you know, who's told another lie. Right? Yes. You've really blown it, haven't you? <laughs> so you've broken three commandments. We've only looked at three. We haven't looked at the other seven. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, sir. Instead of using a four-letter filth word to express disgust, you've taken the name of the God who gave you life and used his name as a curse word, which is called blasphemy. So on Judgment Day, when God judges you by that standard, are you going to be innocent or guilty of breaking his commandments? Well, guilty of that. Then you'll go to heaven or hell. Um... Well, I think, think I'd probably go to heaven in the sense that that's, that's one thing that from now on I'll try to improve myself and that God might forgive me for all my for the sins that I've broken from that. So do you think God should let murderers and liars and thieves and adulterers into heaven? I guess not. So you're in big trouble. Really, you're heading for hell, aren't you? Yeah. Does that concern you? Yes. Yes, it does. There's nothing more valuable than your life, is there? Would you sell one of your eyes for a million dollars? No, sir. Your eyes are precious to you, aren't they? And you'd better win them to your soul. Your soul or your life will sell those, those eyes. And Jesus said, you're to despise the value of your eye compared to the value of your soul. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, 
rock it out and cast it from you, for it's better to enter heaven without an eye than go to hell with both your eyes. And you know what Jesus died on the cross? Why he did? For, uh, for sinning. Sinning? Well, he died for our sins, for the sins of the world. You can leave that, um, Eric. Why don't you, um, if you could turn the projector out? Yeah. Dr. Roger. Okay. Thank you. So, as you can probably guess, the encounter I had with my sister-in-law resulted in a false convert. She became one of the statistics. And that really tore at me. I felt so guilty that I wanted to undo this false assurance that I gave her, right? It's not saying that the, that method doesn't work because I do believe people have been saved by that. But the problem is it's light on sin, it's light on judgment, it's light on the wrath of God. And if that person doesn't count for what the cost is and that they're guilty before God, it, they become a, a statistic. So um, that's why... The way of the master method to me is the most biblical approach out there. And great news. You guys hear this every Sunday. I know it because when I was going to TCF, amen, Pastor Eric, Pastor Bob, they do it that way every week. So this is kind of a, a review for you guys. You weren't like me that kind of learned not the best biblical way and then had to unlearn that. You know, you guys hear this. So stuff like this, you'll pick it up quicker. Sure, there's subtleties and, and leading conversations and doing those things, but you can learn that, all right? And the other good news is that's 80% of the conversation that you're going to have on the street right there. You already know it, right? So now that you got the main course and we've seen the meat of the subject, let's 
transition to the real world and, and how we actually do this. This is the other 20%. How do we put it all together? Uh, when I go out with new people, you know, and just talking to them, there's, there's, I mean, there's many excuses and obstacles to keep people from coming out. Um, two of those are this, um, this fear of, well, how do I stop a perfect stranger, you know, on the street? And then how in the world do I transition to spiritual godly things? Well, here's great news. Just ask for their permission. All right? Here's how I start. Excuse me, may I ask you a question? How easy is that? Right? Repeat after me. Excuse me, may I ask you a question? Guess what? You just got someone to stop. 95% of the people will stop. Take advantage of the Minnesota nice, right? Why not? Because they're thinking you need something. They, they want to help, okay? Now, a hot tip on that, if you're seeing somebody walking with purpose, you know, looking like they need to go somewhere. We were in Dinky Town Friday. You got students walking with their McDonald's. You know, chances are they're not going to stop. Those guys are going to eat. They're hungry. Um, but someone walking with purpose, you know, chances are it has to go somewhere. You can certainly try it. They might stop. But what I found is just, just let them go. So then, okay, so we know how to stop them. So now how do we transition now to godly things? Um, you know, the way of the master, they use different approaches. I've used different approaches. But I've found that the survey method is by far, to me, the most effective. Has anyone heard of the survey method? I know you have it in front of you. Have, has anyone done it? I know, yes, Lindy, we've done it. <laughs> um, here's, what I, here's what I like about it. It literally takes one minute to walk someone through it. It's, it's as long as the person's answering, uh, answers are. So uh, it's usually about a minute. Second, it's, you can easily determine what someone believes or doesn't believe in that minute. And third, and this to me is as important, it engages them in conversation. Okay? Because you're asking four simple questions, and then what do you do? Zip it. <laughs> you let them answer. And I, I feel that when they don't um, see that you're jumping in, challenging them, uh, they can relax. The defenses come down. And they're like, oh, he, they really are interested in, in what I believe. Okay? And those four simple questions, are you a spiritual religious person? To you, in your words, who would you say Jesus Christ is? Or three, do you believe in an afterlife, uh, heaven and hell, as the Bible would say? Four, how does one get to heaven? Now, if they don't profess heaven or hell, if they say this life is it, I'll change the fourth one and say, if there were a better place, would you want to know about it? 80% of the time, they'll respond with a yes. Okay? And then you can go in or go on, excuse me. So again, ask the question, let them talk. And it's okay to interject with additional questions. Are you spiritual or religious? They say yes. Are you spiritual or religious? Which, which, which one are you? Or I'm religious. Okay, what do you, what do you, what do you follow? I'm Christian. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, okay, so then how do we then, what, so what happens after this, this, this one-minute survey? You know, how, what's the next transition? Well, here we give them the out. Okay, they were nice enough to stop and agree to take this one-minute survey, 
all right? So we're not going to take advantage of that. We're going to give them an out, okay? You're free to go, but it's going to have a but on the end. But we're biblical Christians, and we'd love to uh, ask you some additional questions based on the responses that you just gave. Same methodology. It's like, oh, more questions. Okay, they want to hear me talk more. Great. Now, um, without a doubt, you know, when I take new people out, they're shocked at how many people engage in these conversations. 75% minimum of the time, three out of four, you can do this and they'll stay and talk. And that's God. I mean, that's all God. God wants them to hear it. They're going to hear it, <laughs> right? So we give them the out. So let's say they stay. They say, sure, no, you can ask me some more questions. Well, we'll transition. Uh, we, want, we want to get to the, the commandments. That's where we're going. So let's say that they profess goodness as, you know, the way to get to heaven. Um, well, let me ask you this question. Um, you, had, you had said goodness, you know, being a good person is the way to heaven. Do you consider yourself to be a good person? Yes, of course they do. Uh, have you ever heard of the good person test? It's based on the laws of God, the Ten Commandments. Have you ever taken it? Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yes. Have you kept them? Yes. Let's take it. Have you ever told a lie? Okay. So that's how we go. We'll, we'll end it there. You've, you've seen that part. Okay? So how do, you, how do we see this in action? All right? So let's say, Eric, you're my man. Okay? If you wouldn't mind standing up. I'm going to give you some not quite biblical answers. Okay? So when I ask you the questions... You can uh, read from there, because I know you'll destroy me with your, you know. Uh, right. make, make sure you edit this so that nobody thinks I'm Right, 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 right. Okay. Your dome is really slipped. Okay, what do, so I see, I see Eric coming, and he's, he's, he's waiting, okay? He's waiting. What, what's the first thing we're going to say? Excuse me, right? Excuse me. I was wondering if I could ask you a question. Why, certainly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, my, my friend and I, now I, we usually go out two, twos or threes. My friend and I are out here conducting uh, kind of a random survey with people. Yeah. It's a four-question, one-minute spiritual religious survey. So I would love to get your opinions on some things. Do you have a minute? Yes, I do. Okay, great. My name's Jeff. This is Jeff's friend. And your, what's your first name? Eric. Oh, Eric, nice yeah, to meet yeah. you. Okay, so the first question, Eric, are you a spiritual religious person? Yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, second question. In your words, then, who would you say that Jesus Christ is? He's the Son of God. He died for my sins. Okay. Third question. Um, uh, do you believe the, uh, in a literal heaven and hell, like an afterlife? The Bible talks about a literal heaven and hell. What, what do you believe? I believe in heaven, not sure about hell. Okay. All right. And the fourth question, then, well, then who goes to heaven? Well, those who are a good person. If you're a good person and you go to church... And you believe in Jesus. Okay, great. Thanks. Well, uh, Eric, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Now, that's the end of the survey. So technically, you can go. Um, but, you know, my friend and I, are, we're biblical Christians. And we'd love to um, ask some follow-up questions based on the responses that you just gave. Is it, would that be okay? You have a, sure. have a couple minutes? Great. Sure. Uh, well, you had uh, the third question about, um, you know, being good. Yeah. Do you consider yourself to be a good person? I do, I do. Okay. Have you ever taken the good person test? It's based on law, the, the moral laws of God, the Ten Commandments. I've not. No? You never have? No. Well, let's take it. Okay. Okay. Have you ever told a lie? Well, I guess I have. Yeah. How many lies have you told in your life? Mm, quite a few. Quite a few. What do, you call, what do you call a person that tells quite a few lies? 
liar? Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's, that's how we go. I mean, easy transitions, very conversational, non-threatening. By the way, the answers that I wrote down are pretty typical of what we hear out there. And we do, unfortunately, um, witness to Christians more than anybody else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by that survey, you know when they answer, you know, you know. Uh, I might ask a you know, follow-up question here and there just to make sure, but, yeah, yeah you'll know. Um, so remember, the law shows our guilt before a holy and righteous God. That's why we use it. Bad news first. Otherwise, the good news makes no sense. Um, uh, you know, the law also en- enables the Holy Spirit to do uh, one of its functions, if you recall, John 16, 8. Anybody? John 16, 8. What's the Holy Spirit do? Convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's why we preach the law. Let God do the work. Let the Spirit work. Uh, then it's transitioning to the good news. You saw the outlay of the commandments, you know, um, holding the person accountable before God using God's standards. They'll try to wiggle out of it. You saw the gentleman at the end say, yeah, he should just let me go. He's a forgiving God and whatnot. Well, it doesn't work that way. Try that in an earthly court, you know, and then walk through that scenario that, you know, you're trying to bribe the judge with your good deeds. You're not even in front of the judge because of your good deeds. You're in front of the judge because of your bad deeds. He has no choice but to judge you on what you've done wrong. And you can't undo those. So explaining that, and, then, and how much more holy is God? Well, we know, Revelation 21, a lie will separate you from eternity from a holy and righteous God. One lie. That's how holy God is. We get to that point, work them through, we, we, we see that change. Sometimes you can physically see the change coming over this person, the, the humbleness come, the, the realization that, that they're in trouble. You know, you can see it sometimes. And, you know, we, um, we ask them this question. Um, we're the master people. Does it concern you? If you died tonight, that you would be standing in front of a holy and righteous judge guilty before him. And that we, he would have no choice but to send you to hell for eternity. Does that concern you? If you get a no, you thank them for their time and send them on their way. Because why? You heard it. We don't cast our pearls before swine. It's tough. I do not like doing that. You know, I got them to this, this far, and it's tough for me to let them go. But they just have this cavalier attitude. They don't deserve to hear the good news. They are hard-hearted, Right? So, but most of the time, you get a yes. It would concern me. Even if they don't believe in God, I'll say if it's true, if, if, or, you know, if it's possibility that I'm right, would that concern you? Yeah. And then uh, transition to the good news. And you heard a great, um, you know, a great um, review of that with these guys. Uh, how do we end the conversation then? We thank them for their time, ask them if they have any questions. We give them a track. We... Um, we like to pass out the John MacArthur stop tracks. These are really, really good. 
um, very, very biblical. Obviously, John MacArthur. Um, and I have, these are for you guys. If you want to take them, feel free. I always uh, carry around these, um, um, oh, what's his first name? Mike Gendron, uh, um, uh, Catholic Tracks. I really like this one. It's really easy to follow and read. So feel free to take a copy of that. Uh, we encourage them. Uh, we encourage them to pray. Um, obviously, not the sinner's prayer. We encourage them to pray that God would open their heart and their minds to the truth. That that they could, you know, think about their sin in in terms of a holy and righteous God. That they. You know, we talk about what Jesus talked about, repent and believe. You know, what's repentance? Repentance is doing a 180, turning. You're heading down that road. That's the road of unrighteousness, right? And you're running down that road, thinking your good deeds, your unbelief, or whatever, the God that you made up in your mind, you know, is, is, is going to be okay with your life. That's where, and that's broad, broad is that road. Repent and see the right road which is the road of righteousness that few find, um, but you have to acknowledge your sin. You know, you have to repent. You have to be done with yourself. You know, you have to be done with yourself. Put on Jesus and, and go down that road. And then believe, trust Christ and Christ alone. He's the only one that died, you know, for your sins. Um, we'll talk about, you know, where they live, uh, maybe refer them to a Bible-believing church. We actually... Um, um, referred a, a guy lived in Uptown, you know, to um, to go to um, the old TCF, whatever it is now. Is this still TCF? Yeah, yeah. Um, or whatever it is, yeah. Just last week. Um, so, I encourage you. You know, this is all about encouraging. You know, um, the great thing is you guys know the meat of this already. Um, you, But you can bone up. This is so easy. You can do it on your own. You go online. Look at um, uh, Ray, Ray Comfort's ministry is livingwaters.com. There is tons of information on there. Or go to YouTube, type in Ray Comfort, watch the videos come up, and you can see real encounters of this stuff. And, man, I drilled this into me. I was so fascinated by this. I just I kept watching and watching and watching and until it just became kind of second nature. I just knew exactly where they were going to go with the conversation and and so I would encourage you to do that. It's, it's really easy to do it on your own. Um, you can come out with us on Friday nights. We have a small ministry uh, consisting of, you know, up to five leaders. Now, not all five leaders come out at, uh, at a given time, but we'll have anywhere from two to four uh, out on any given Friday. Um, we'd love to have you out. Uh, you don't have to say a word. Just watch us, you know, pray. Feel free to interject. We require any new people to watch that video before they come out so that we're all on the same page, so they know kind of the approach that we use, methodology. Um, and, you know, our, our sole goal is if they continue to come out, and they don't come out every week, but, you know, if you see them semi-regularly, you know, we start, we want to encourage them. We want to grow them. We want to, you know, um, we want them to be able to lead at some time. You know, it's about growing the next leaders that are coming up. They could be any age. You know, you, you, you're never too young or too old to know this stuff. Um, so, you know, we're, we're an encouragement. We'll say, hey, why don't you walk them through the law this time? And then I'll take it. And, you know, or we'll just keep giving them what they're, whatever they're comfortable with and grow them. 
so feel free to vis uh, visit us on Friday nights. If you want to do that, you can email your interest to me. And what we do is we send a weekly email, general email out. Um, so you can email me the letter J, Framke. That's my last name. So it's F like Frank, R A M like Mike, K E. So J, letter J, Framke at Comcast.net. So just say, hey, just add me to the list. Now, it doesn't certainly mean you have to come out every Friday. Come out when you can. Just come out when you can. Um, so what that does is it comes to you then, so you're part of this group email. And if you're able to come out, just reply so that we know that you're coming. Because oftentimes, you know, sometimes we get 12 people coming. And it's like, oh, man, we got to get leaders in or figure this out. Um, but, yeah, just come. And, of course, you know, starting your own ministry, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing better than that. You know, start your own ministry. Uh, I know there's a lot of smart people in here, very smart people. You guys, you guys can do this and know this. That's all I have. We went a little over, but I'm open for any questions, any questions at all. Yeah. Yeah, walk the same thing. Um, so we walk them through, you know, the questions, and then we'll determine, you know, um, you know, through that. Um, Are the responses the same? Uh, I mean, everyone's different. Everyone's different. Uh, but you know, with with a Mormon, I mean, your goal is to share the gospel. That's first and foremost. Okay, it's not necessarily to get in a debate. Okay, even though, you know, we're, we're prideful people and we, we want to debate. Um, it's really about sharing the gospel. So, you know, I sometimes have to zip it and, and just, you know, walk them through what the Bible says. And then after that, I will definitely engage. I will engage with them. And I usually, you know, will start um, by the, you know, the, the claiming that there's many gods. You know, um, I'll point them to Isaiah. And I start in, and I've got it highlighted in my phone. Isaiah starting in 43 through, man, I must go four or five chapters. And I've got it all highlighted so I can just quickly, and I say, read that, read that, read that. And Isaiah is just like, one God, none other but me. I am the God. I would know if there's one and there's not one. I mean, it's just that type of verbiage. And then I would refer him to um, uh, Hebrews 1 which talks about the prophets, all right? God spoke to, to his people through the prophets. But in the latter days, he spoke to us through his son. There's no more prophets after Jesus, right? No more. There's no new revelation after Jesus. Well, what did Joseph Smith do? All of a sudden, he, he created his own new revelation. Well, we have scriptures that says that Jesus was the last prophet, and we see scripture that says there's there's only one God. So yeah, there's ways there's ways to one. So there weren't any is it one? Yeah, one one. What's that? There weren't any latter day saints. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Yep. Oh I'm sorry. You probably have your favorite places that you like to go. My question is uh, there's a lot of places, how do you know? that it's okay to uh, either present the gospel or hand out tracts in a certain area. I've been asked to leave certain areas mm -hmm. just handing out tracts, not really engaging with 
people, and I just left, and then later to find out that it was my right to be there, yeah. but it was just the, the owner or whoever was in that area didn't want me to be there. How, yeah. do, you, how do you go about that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, you, you know, you want to be respectful, and certainly if you're on uh, private property, uh, in the wintertime we go to the Mall of America, and you have to be careful. Um, you can't just go up to someone and say, hey, I got something for you to read. You can't do that. You know, you have to ask their permission. Now, the great thing about the survey method is you're asking their permission all the time. You know, do you mind if I, you know, can you take a one-minute spiritual survey? Right? You're asking. And then at the end um, of the survey, hey, do you have additional time to? So if the security comes up to you, which they have to us, and they're saying, are they bugging you? It's like, no, no, they, right? I asked them if we could have this discussion, okay? And then you ask them if you can give them something to read. So you have to do that when you're in a non-public area. Um, certainly if you're uh, on a public sidewalk and you're blocking an entrance, you know, you got to be discerning about that, and, you know, that owner is going to be upset about that, and rightfully so, even though it's public property. Um, but... You know, you have to know what is public property. And I've never had somebody kick me off of public property. Um, so, good question. Yeah? How do you deal with a um, false convert? They think they're a Christian. Um, is that hard to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, because they think they're good. Okay. Yeah, they think, oh, I'm in. Um, but, you know, depending on how they answer those questions, will determine, and, and most of the time, it's like by being good, just just what Eric read oh, in that okay, statement. Oh, yeah, yeah, most, mostly. Now, I mean, you never really know. Um, I, and I say that with an asterisk because you, you do know, so, I mean, the, the truly saved really answer those questions. I mean, it's like better than I could ever do. So you, you just kind of have that feel for it. But those, you definitely want to walk through the law. And you just kind of have that, God gives you that discerning spirit so you can just kind of tell uh, sometimes. And do you have to define repentance when you pray? Or how do you define Yeah, that? yeah, depending on the person, absolutely. It's because like... Oh, I'm sorry. She was asking, um, you know, when you talk about um, uh, um, false convert, you know, um, what was that question? It was... Yeah, do, do we really share the repentance and how much, you know, do we share with that and how do you know? Um, you just kind of have to discern, you know, based on the answers to the question. And, uh, yeah, you definitely, repentance is a big thing. Repentance is a big thing. Don't they, some people just think it's repenting going the wrong way, but not really changing their life. Right. Or leaving anything yep. behind. Yep, that's that putting on, you know, the Lord Jesus as Lord of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Being done with yourself, you know, being born again. We talk... Um, oftentimes I'll talk about what this thing, I'll say, do you know what born again means? And they'll say, no. I don't know. It's like, well, it's mean you're, it means you're reborn spiritually. You know, it's you have a new nature. What's your nature now? You're a human. You're a sinner. Can you change your nature? No. That's the nature you have. Who can only change your nature? Only God can change your nature. <laughs> and make you different so that you can see and perceive the truth. You'll still be, you know, you'll still have the two, na then you'll have the two natures, as Paul talks about, warring with the two natures constantly. But, you know, that's what that born again is. They have to understand that it's not from them, it's not from a prayer, it's not from man, it's not from the flesh, it's not from blood, right? 
It's born, born of God. John 1, 12 and 1, 13. Go ahead, Peter. Yep. That's your responsibility there, and that's to some extent where it can end. You can accept that. Mm -hmm. The goal is to get them to think and to question that. And then, has anyone come back for more? Um, back and, and seek direction? Or we have, for people that want follow-up, yeah. we will give them our contact information. So they can email us. Um, but we put it in their hands. Actually, whose hands are we putting it in? <laughs> we're putting it in God's hands, yeah. Um, so if, if they reach out, we're not going to fish and we're not going to bug them and we're not going to pursue them. But if God puts it on their heart, you know, to contact one of us, absolutely. Do they have them? No. No, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, for the Bible and mistakes, I'll say name one. Yeah. <laughs> they can't because there are none. Or they might have, if they're, if they're knowledgeable, they might have some that are perceived mistakes. But, you know, you're not, you're not going to run into scholars out there. <laughs> you know, I mean, you guys know way more, way more than the average person. The average person doesn't know the Ten Commandments, Right? You know way more than they do. And the great news is if you ever get a question that you can't answer, admit it. Just say, you know what, that's a great question. I'll have to get back to you on that. Uh, let, me, let me follow up. You know, if you want to give me your contact information, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd like to research that one. You don't have to have all the answers. So anyway, yeah, so it's a quick challenge because they won't be able to name one. And then I'll just go right back where I was. You know, just keep going. Yeah, Linda. Uh, we are uh, selecting some Saturdays, so Cinco de Mayo um, will be one. Um, a gentleman from Conquering King, Ryan Habana's church, is um, always they always get a booth, so they look for people to come and share the gospel. And the great news is you don't have to stay at the booth; you can just wander around and um, do all that. Boy, that when I was there two or three years ago, the Word of Faith people were everywhere. Man, they were praying for people, for their salvation. I'll never forget seeing, you know, one guy leading another one in prayer. And this guy was just so uh, fervently praying. And the guy he was praying for was just looking, just looking around. I mean, it is kind of sad, but it's, I was looking at that. And I was like, man, you know, and they're, they're saying that that person's saved. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That looked old, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you that God will be glorified by that encounter either way. Either way. And if he doesn't, he's going to get what's, what he deserves. But hopefully, yeah, hopefully you know, God has mercy on him. Oh, I love that. Evolution versus God. Yeah, look that. Oh, man. 
That's so good. I've seen that about seven, eight times. I sent that to Eric. I was like, in fact, one of the guys that Eric engaged at the Atheist oh, concert, PZ Myers, is in that video. Yeah. yeah, when I first saw that, I was like, yeah. Eric's buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Christy. Uh, we used to. We don't have access to Bibles uh, much anymore. So we refer them to BibleGateway.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but if, you, if we did some evangelism from our church... Yeah, if you have them. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'll always ask them. I, usually every conversation that we go that far, I always ask them, do you have a Bible? And, you know, most of them will say, yeah, I got it. You know, it's collecting dust on the shelf somewhere. But, mm-hmm. yeah, every once, once in a while they don't. And... Um, you know, so we refer them online, but definitely, if you can bring them, yeah, have them handy. Never have too many. Yeah. I remember the first time um, I heard Mike Jenwood speak at Twin City Fellowship a number of years ago, and how, liberate, how liberating it was for me to hear him talk about the fact that we were only the messenger. We were the main oh, carrier. I can relate to this. Mm-hmm. How easy is it to have that conversation and to open it up to those people where you don't have to stop them on the street yeah. and say, excuse me, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, do then, to, I do have to tell you that yeah. family is more challenging. Yes, <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. I, you know, it's funny you should say that because I can totally relate to what you were saying. When I was taught the Billy Graham method, so when we went out at night, it was all about getting decisions. And we'd come back and say, how, and they'd say, how many decisions did you get? Hey, I got two. I got three. I got one. Oh, I didn't get any. And it makes you feel bad. You know, it's like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, what's, what am I not saying right? You know, then it becomes about me, right? And when somebody in that ministry I was attending took me aside and said, it's not about the prayer. You know, it's about just preaching the gospel. The good news, the bad news, good news. And I went, really? That's it? That's all I have to do? I mean, that was freeing. That was liberating to me because I would come back feeling bad. Oh, I didn't get any decisions. You know, that's just not the way it works. When you talked about feeling bad when you let that person walk away. Yes. Hard your heart walk away. Yeah, yeah. It's God's job to break that heart. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, you were on a commission at just with a different one. What's that? I said you were on a commission at just with a different one. Oh, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amen, amen. Isn't that something else that you could ask them permission to do? Pray? Yeah, yeah, we do. We ask that. Yeah, do you mind if we pray for you? Absolutely, and we pray that God would open their their minds, their hearts to the, to the uh, to His truth. Or if they get to the point where um, they're broken, they're they're you know you mm-hmm. can tell that they're ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you say, would you like you know, would you like me to pray with you? 
Well, you know, and again, it's, it's yes, yes, absolutely. And it's just the w- subtle wording. It's like, you know, Jesus, we pray that you, you know, can grant biblical repentance to this person, you know, that they have a biblical belief, a biblical faith um, to know the cost of following you, that you, you know, that you make this person born again, right? Uh, repentant of their sins, you know, that they would, um, abhor, you know, or whatever the word is, uh, detest their former life uh, of sin and how they were. You know, you can just subtly do it without giving them that sense of, hey, you're saved now. Because right. you don't know. Parable of the soils. That's right. Parable of the soils, Matthew 13. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, we don't know. Speaking of prayer, do you have other people out with you who are praying? Who may not be yes, now, yes. Every email that goes out says, if you can't make it, we would just, we would covet your, covet if we can say that word, and we would covet your <laughs> prayers. Yeah, we, would, right. we would really appreciate you praying, praying for us. Yeah. And it is, I'm telling you, it is a joy. It is a joy. I feel like sometimes Moses coming down from the mountain, I'm aglow. I, I, seriously, I come home and I'm just, I'm on cloud nine because it's just like, God has used me in such a powerful way. I mean, just these God-ordained conversations. I don't know if the person will ever get saved. I don't know. But it's not about that. It's the obedience, stepping out in faith, letting God use you. And, I mean, it just carries over. The next day I'm just still and I'm thinking about this person and, Lord, please save this person. It's just, it's just a joy. It's, it, there's no other thing that gives me more joy than going and, and just even on an off night, which I don't think I've ever had an off night, because what's an off night? You're, you're out, you're, you're winning to begin with, just going out. So, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a true joy, and I, I hope that you guys can really experience what that's all about, because it's, man, you'll want it more. You'll want, it's like, I want, I want more of that, that, that feeling, that empowering, because, you know, when we step out, we step out in power. The gospel's power, the word of God is power, Right? We're ambassadors for Christ. We are empowered. Yeah. I think the donkey thing about sharing the gospel, you know, we can look at it as the wisdom of God is foolishness to many. Right. Right. So that's like the default position of most people that you talk to. And they have all their things, like, like say, the Bible is not accurate. Um, how about people that have never heard about God? Mm-hmm. And, you know, aren't yeah. that fair? They have all their little yeah. things that they say. Bunny trails. Bunny trails. And you know what? Just say, hey, you know what? That's a great question. Let me come back to it. Let me come back to it. Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't get involved in heady debates. You're never going to win them that way. It doesn't come from winning an argument, right? It's not an intellectual leap. It's a moral leap, right? It's by God's grace, right? I mean, yeah, we have, I mean, we can debate and we can, We've got we've got the answers, but it's not about that. Just share the gospel. Let God do the work. Let him do the heavy lifting. <laughs> what others? Do you have any other locations that are just... Oh, yeah, I, I got off track. I, I, um, so uh, we do Mall of America in the wintertime, spring, summer, fall. We're doing college campuses. Um, um, mostly the U, but like in the spring and the fall, we do the 
the college campus tour. So we're doing, I mean, you know, River Falls, we're doing uh, Hamlin, McAllister, um, St. Kate, St. Thomas, um, Augsburg. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I've, I've, I've gotten kicked out of McAllister by a really nice security guy. He was really nice. He was really nice. Um, yeah, the lakes, um, Hopkins, um, yeah, anywhere people are hanging or just, you know, spending some time sauntering around. Um, lakes is a great spot. I like doing the lakes. Uptown's tough, dark, dark, but we go there. We go there, right? Someone's got to. Downtown can be difficult. I've done that many years. I like the campuses personally. Yeah. Um, how long in doing this? I know you were in sales before you went to uh, advertising, but uh, how long did it take you to overcome the fear of knowing? Were you comfortable from the get-go? Uh, no, and you know you don't. I don't want to say I'm ever comfortable. You know, I rely on God. I don't want to be to that point where it's like I. I got this down. You know, I never want to be that way. I always want to rely on the Lord. It's his work because you know what happens when you're, you know, you get up there, he's going to knock you down, right? And I don't want to, I don't want to experience that. Um, so, you know, I, the thing with me is I probably was a quick learner because I was so enamored by the videos of these actual encounters and after a while, you see the same things. And like I said, you know what's coming next because you've just ingrained it. It's like watching a TV show. It's entertaining. And so then when you go out and you're seeing, you know, um, ministries do it that way, it's second hat. And you know what's, you know what's going to be coming. So you can, it's, it's based on you, man. The more you practice, the, the faster you're going to pick it up. But again, everyone walks at a different pace, we will never throw you into a situation you're not ready for. I, I will always ask, what are you comfortable with? You know, what would you like to do tonight? You know, do you want to take the whole thing? I'm fine. I'll just let you talk. You can always look at me if you're stumped and get stuck and, you know, and I'll help you out. But whatever they want. They may say, well, you start and then, you know, then after a while I'll, you know, maybe start a conversation. It's like, okay, you know, whatever you want. It's really about whoever's coming out with us. So yeah. How do you transition from the bunny chair? Like, um, well, there's so much suffering in the world. That's what I hear a lot. There's so much suffering in yeah. this transition. Well, wherever I was when we were talking, mm-hmm. um, I'll say, hey, great question. Let me, let me finish, and then I'll come back to that. And I'll just pick up. So if I was in the second question of the survey, okay, third question was, you know, let's go right back. There's a lot of bunny trails out there. Wow. Just deflect, deflect, deflect. But, I mean, but, you know, honor their request. Just say, hey, I'll come back to that. Don't want to ignore them. Jack, I have to thank you for everything, God, for your, your gifts that you have that God has given you. Let's give a big round of applause. Oh, that's, 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 I just thank the Lord for you, and I... Uh, 
I was telling everybody from the pulpit that you could sell an Eskimo refrigerator. I mean, God has really gifted you. They need one, that. though. They do need one. <laughs> they do, they do. And um, when you go out with Jeff, you will learn. It is, it's a pretty amazing thing to see how God has gifted him, and you will learn. And one of the things that um, Jeff has mentioned, you, this will sharpen your toolbox. Yeah, big time. You know the Word of God, and think about you're like a carpenter who has all these tools in your belt. When you go out witnessing, you will be using your tools, and all of a sudden you'll be like a master carpenter, and you will learn how to use the Word of God, and um, it really is edifying. And I know that your wife has mentioned you've come home with that glow on your face. But let's lift up Jeff in prayer in his ministry. And uh, th thank you, Lord, so much for Jeff Framke and his ministry and his love for you, Lord. I thank you for our mutual salvation and the fact that you've used him to reach the lost. We lift up his ministry. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the hearts of those who he's going to be witnessing to and for those that will be witnessing to, Lord. We do pray, especially during this Easter season, whether it be relatives or loved ones or these strangers on the street, Lord, that you would go before us, that you would regenerate hearts so that, as Jeff was mentioning, that they would be born again. Lord, we thank mm -hmm. you in advance for the results. We thank you, Lord that your word goes forth and that you're glorified no matter what the outcome. So I pray for Jeff. I just pray that you continue to bless him and give him opportunity and blessing and protection. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Wow. Thank Thanks you, everyone. Jeff. Thank you. Hey, feel free. If you want to take tracks home, feel free. These are all for you. Thank you. Okay, let's see. Uh, we just started, actually. Oh, did you just start? The yeah, last Friday. Eric, how do you close this? Or stop yeah, this? this is great.